Okay, five, four. Welcome everyone to another episode of Talking Kotlin. My name is still Seb. I'm still your host. And with me today, I have, as usual, the man who is also still called Hadi. Hadi, how are you? I'm good, Seb. Look at you. You're <laughs> you're looking you're looking so chipper today, all of a sudden. I am. I'm I'm it's it's good to see you. It's it's really good to see you. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Things things are looking different. Yeah. Our our astute viewers will probably see that your uh, your room's looking a little different. There's more guitars, less whiskey. What's going on there? No, my whiskey's there. It's just it's it's on that side. Oh okay. no, sorry, that side. Um, I I got a lot of pushback from people saying every time we watch Talking Kotlin, we think you're an alcoholic. So I had oh. to move my whiskeys. Uh, over yeah. There. Uh, so no, it's actually, a Brad thing. Well, no, look, <laughs> look. True story. What really happened is that. Like I bought myself another guitar, okay? Now I got two stands on the floor for these guitars and I didn't have space. So I said, you know what? I'm going to hang the guitars. It also looks nice, right? I mean, it looks nice, right? It yeah, it nice. does. Yeah, it does, right. It does. And then so I ordered three hooks and my guitar. So the three hooks came with my guitar. My guitar was broken. And um, now I just got three hooks and two hooks and an empty one. So and no guitar. So there you go. And I'm not going to take that damn thing down anyway. Um, but yeah. In case that doesn't make sense to our audio listeners, we invite you to tune in on youtube.com. Yes, slash to Kotlin. see my guitars. Yep. Then exactly. you'll you'll see what that setup looks like. And you'll see a very sad empty hook to Hadi's right. Um, yeah. Empty hook. Left hook. Yeah. Uh, also, you're looking different. You're wearing a hoodie, which probably means that the weather has changed for you drastically. Oh, yeah. It's, it's alternating uh, between like doom and gloom which is uh autumn leaves and gray sky uh and kind of chipper uh you know pumpkin spice latte season which is blue sky and autumn trees yeah so without the pumpkin sky and all of that it sounds more like the politics in the uk right now um today was the day that liz truss didn't outlast a lettuce apparently <laughs> so <laughs> i really yeah. should have bet on that lettuce Man, so this was this was talking like recap of everything with Kotlin, uh, with with the Kotlin people. Now I think it's time we we actually introduce a couple of guests. Um, Wait, to... I got a whole bag of stuff I want to discuss with you. But why? Okay, fine. Yes, fine. Okay, but why okay. don't we do that? Why the guests I... are here? Yeah. Oh, fine. Okay, okay. Uh, today on the show we got uh, Christian and Sudarshan uh, from Realm. Hi, folks. Hello, hello. Happy hello. It's good to see you. Now, first of all, Sudarshan, there's a there's a thing that that we just noticed right before we started recording the session. Again, mostly for the people who are watching, you will find me drinking from my cup, which has a Kotlin logo, but it's it's on this side. I'm I'm right-handed, so I I always have to hold the the hot side of the cup. And Sudarshan, I think you're in a very similar situation there at MongoDB, huh? Yeah, I didn't consider this until you mentioned it, but um, yes, I also have a mug, and I also have the MongoDB logo, but on the wrong side. Um, I think they're built so that I can remind myself where I work when I hold onto this mug with my right hand. Um, but it doesn't really work so well here. I've got to hold onto the hot side if I want you guys to see the logo. So trust yeah. me, there's a logo there, but I will be drinking it. So our audience now is completely confused, right? Because you just introduced our guests as Realm and you're showing the cup on MongoDB. Is there anyone that hasn't heard the news about this? 
It's well, a few years old at this point, um, yeah. but it's still still just as exciting think, as the yeah. very first day. Yeah, I think it's what is it three three years old at this point? I, I guess something like that. Well, so, I just found out yeah. half an hour ago, so you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. I guess we got acquired by MongoDB for like three years ago, and I've been working there ever since. And yeah, things are good, I would say. So, yeah. nice. And where are you folks located? I'm currently in SF, uh, but I'm typically based in New York. Yeah, and I'm in uh, Aarhus in Denmark, so, yeah. Oh, Aarhus, I've been there. The original Realm right. team is all in, or mostly in Europe, um, and the MongoDB team, at least a lot of us, are in New York, um, and so it gives us a really good chance to go to Copenhagen um, for regular off-sites and meet the team. Uh, it's one of the most fun parts of, of working with them, is going to Copenhagen. Yeah, Copenhagen's nice, especially war pigs. If you like barbecue, I've mentioned that in the past in this episode. I think I, I, anyway, yeah, I think you've mentioned that about twelve times. Yeah, and, sorry, but, and 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 Seb always tells me off when I go off topic. So yes, yeah, sorry. No, sorry, but Seb. on sorry. no, on the bright side, you took me to war pigs, so it's all fine. It's okay. all good. Thank you. And then you became <laughs> vegetarian, right? Moving on. Next it's news to me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um. So some people, you know, lis listeners who have been around for a while, um, actually might remember that this isn't the first time that we're that we're talking to Realm people. In episode ninety-eight, I believe, we talked to Nabiland and Klaus, um, who kind of started us off with uh, with their journey in in Kotlin and especially in Kotlin multi-platform um, back when the decision was kind of made to to make a, a Kotlin first Realm SDK. Um, especially also with the context of integrating with things like coroutines, flows, and um, also introducing all of that as as a multi-platform thing, right? And as I understand, we've kind of gotten a little bit further uh, in this story, right? Uh, yeah, you can definitely say that. So, so since last year, we actually managed to get something done and released. So in the spring around June, I think, we released our first GA version of, of the Kotlin multi-platform SDK. So right now that is sort of out there and people seem to be happy with it. Um, and so right now we're basically building out the features in, the, in that. Uh, so like for anyone that has been using Realm in the past, like we have a Java SDK that is what, seven, eight years old at this point. Uh, yeah, so right now we are sort of migrating all the features we want into the pure Kotlin SDK. And yeah, so that I guess that's why we came here so we can talk about that and maybe show a little bit about how it works. Uh, like we made a bunch of, because Kotlin is so vastly different than, than Java was in terms of ecosystem and what capabilities you have, we sort of went back and took a look at all the API decisions we made back in the day and sort of took a second look and tried to see how would that look like if you thought about Kotlin as, as a new language and what features you have there. Uh, so yeah. Um, I would say we are pretty happy with it, especially like stuff like coroutines and the threading model is like vastly superior to what we could sort of achieve on Java and stuff like compiler plugins and the entire thing about how you actually built Kotlin uh, is making a massive difference in terms of what we can actually achieve. And, and things like extension functions are godsend if you're building a modular SDK like we are, being able to plug in functionality into APIs is, is yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome compared to what you can do in Java. So so yeah, so I would definitely say we're pretty happy with it, uh, especially now you guys are beta with uh, KMM. Like 
that was a major headache for our side, trying to figure out the different memory models and supporting all of that. But now we're sort of, okay, now there's one memory model we sort of have to deal with. And so, yeah, we're pretty happy right now, I would say. Nice. That's lovely to hear. So there's a little bit of a, of a, of a specialty in, in this episode, um, which is the, that, Christian, I understand you've brought us uh, a bit of a demo, so, so, to so to speak, to kind of get everyone uh, on, the, on the same level here as to where Realm is right now and what kind of fancy things you can do with it. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So I, I, we thought that the best way to talk about it was maybe to show, show off what it's actually capable to do, and then we can just take the discussion from there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if I should switch to demo mode or... Would it be useful so... to first start by talking about uh, just quickly describing for listeners what Realm is, Christian? That, that might be a good point. I guess for anyone that hasn't heard about us before, uh, so we are an object-oriented database. Uh, unlike SQLite, uh, which is like uh, relational. Uh, so we represent all our data structures in terms of, of objects, which is like a pretty massive difference because that also means that the way you interact with the schema is basically through pure objects. You don't have to think about co complicated concepts like joins, stuff like that. That is falling out natively of an object model. Uh, so that is, I guess, the biggest difference uh, compared to SQLite is that you are basically working with with objects all the way down, uh, which is which is pretty has some pretty significant advantages. Also, in terms of uh, we also have this concept called lazy loading, which basically means that that is a, if anyone sort of doing scrolling UIs uh, in Android before knows about the cursor limit and you having to deal with that and trying to fit all of that into memory, that is also a problem we are sort of solving uh, natively where you basically get access to the underlying uh, memories without having to requery data and stuff like that. So so hopefully the idea is that when working with Realm as a database, you should feel like you're just working with your native objects without having to think about a lot of database concepts. Um, so yeah. That brings a lot of good memories up for me after, you know, having having used it a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. It was it was definitely a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I I think from here it's probably a. I mean, I just want to see the demo. No, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously this is a bit of a crossroads for us, uh, dear listeners, um, because while the viewers on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/Cotlin, uh, can of course just open their eyes and watch the demo, uh, you in the uh, in the audio version, uh, unfortunately, do not have that ability. And probably for safety reasons, it's it might also be better if you're you know driving, biking. I don't know what you might be doing. Um, so for you folks, uh, that's obviously not going to work. We're going to do a bit of a recap of the demo kind of afterwards, uh, so that you hopefully have a, a good leg to stand on when it comes to the to the afterwards, the Q and A and the typical uh, talking Kotlin format. But we're just kind of jump over. Uh, the demo for you folks. Uh, I still course, think we should become sports commentators, but you don't want to do you it. Would, if fine. you would like to try sport, yeah, we can I'm still just... sports comment. Yeah. If you want to yeah. see our sports commentating, you're also going to have to tune in <laughs> on youtube.com slash Kotlin. Mm. All right. So, cool. Let's, let's dive in. And we're going to come back into the audio segment. Um... Do you, would you like to do the recap, or would you like me to try and uh, and do the recap for you? <laughs> uh, this is a quiz for you. Yeah. Okay. Have you been paying attention? Okay. All right. So quiz for me now is is trying to piece back together all the things we've we've seen. I've made a couple of notes, but you know, excuse me if we if I don't use the exactly correct 
right uh, terminology because what started out as this very basic thing of just a couple of counters going up and down actually turned out to be um, this really interesting demo of uh, synchronizing data from Realm using MongoDB Sync. Do I have that right? Uh, Atlas Device Sync is the official Atlas Device Sync. There we go. I'm sorry. I'm seeing so many MongoDB logos. I'm already indoctrinated, which kind of adds this this, um, ability to um, provide things like native uh, conflict resolution and just kind of sync your state uh, uh, between different devices. We saw, uh, I think I saw some Android there. I saw some iOS there. I saw some macOS native, macOS JVM or desktop JVM. Yes. Yeah. Um, and of course, we saw a little bit that, as usual with Realm schemas, are uh, are classes. The whole app didn't really take much more than roughly 120 lines of code, uh, completely offline first. But then, with this little switch, you can turn on, and all of a sudden, it it syncs between the different devices. Um, and of course, kind of really based on top of the the very basic principles that we have in Kotlin for concurrency, uh, like like flows, uh, suspending functions. Um, and of course, the, the the big payoff here being that this being uh, shared code, you would not have to write this multiple times for each platform. You would only have to write it uh, once and then just run it on on each target. How was that? That was pretty good. That was yeah. That's a solid A plus, I would say. So yeah. <laughs> yes. Very good. Certified Realm consultant. There we yeah. go. Gonna put that on my LinkedIn in the in the next break. And one thing that's um, pretty interesting, you you mentioned that you know offline first, and that's totally true, right? When you're offline, you can make all these changes um, to your code or to your data, and then it synchronizes when you come back online. But another thing that people often overlook is that um, having sync is actually pretty cool, even when you're online. Um, so if you didn't have sync and you're making API calls to a cloud or something like that, you would have to wait for the network round trip before you could be sure that your data was persisted. Um, or you know, if, if your data is, is made it to the cloud. But if you have your local data, you can actually make these changes locally, um, treat all your data as if it's local, and then let the magic of getting to the cloud happen behind the scenes. And so your app becomes that much more reactive. You respond to changes right away, and you know every button press is, is persisted right away locally. Um, and then the online bit happens asynchronously, which is pretty cool. So I don't have to live in, in constant fear when I'm in a subway and I'm going into a tunnel and I'm not sure if that that API request is, is going to send or my my note is going to get saved. And as a developer on this, it's my biggest pet peeve when I get an app that doesn't work um, offline. Uh, if I'm in the subway and my game doesn't connect or my Spotify, maybe I don't know if I should, I don't know if I should call out people, um, but if my app doesn't work properly when offline, um, it is the most annoying thing because I'm like, just use use this thing. It works. We, we've built it. So uh, I have a couple of questions here. Um, you, your product before the MongoDB acquire, uh, acquisition was Atlas, right? That was the product that you used for syncing. So I, I guess both. both I, I guess uh, both Realm. So Realm had its own product. We had what we call Realm Sync, which were using Realm both on the back end on the front end, and I, and Mongo had their own mobile offering called Stitch. Uh, and then we just realized, hey, Realm is pretty good at, at the mobile side of things. And hey, Mongo is pretty good at the server side of things. Maybe if we just swap each other components out, then like things are working pretty nicely. So that gave way to Atlas, which is a device sync. 
Atlas is actually the umbrella term for all of MongoDB's um, hosted cloud offerings. So whether you're getting a database, like the MongoDB database hosted in the cloud, um, or whether you're using all of our app services, all of that's under Atlas. Um, without going too far into the, the naming of everything, we have Atlas App Services, which is this collection of things that let you build apps really well. So things like GraphQL endpoints, things like triggers, um, things like hosting and um, functions and stuff like that that you can use to build your app. And we call that a backend as a service where you don't have to write much server-side code, but you get an app. And then okay. this particular product is Atlas Device Sync. Um, okay. So Atlas is a modifier for everything. Right. So in in regards to this, um, because you know one is a one is a document database, another is an object uh, object uh, database, object oriented database. Uh, how, how do you like? How do you make use of of Mongo in these terms? I mean, is it just the underlying structure of of syncing the data, or how do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so you're you're totally on the money here. That it's complicated to convert. Um, data from different forms, right? Realm has a schema fundamentally, and MongoDB, we're looking at documents. And so we have a component on the server that as it receives changes, has to figure out how to translate every single Realm write that we receive from clients um, into MongoDB changes, such that it ends up in a database. Um, and what we can expose to customers is this beautiful interface that doesn't you know, give you or tell you any of this is happening um, so that you can use MongoDB for your mobile data and on your client side, you've got a strongly typed schema-aware system, but on the cloud, you have documents and you can interact with MongoDB using all your existing MongoDB tooling. And one thing, again, like I've not worked much with object-oriented databases, right? But when I see the code, uh, for those folks that didn't listen to the code, I will now describe the code for you. Uh, <laughs> there was some classes, and this segment's brought to you by uh, Garden Eden gardening gloves for your, all your gardening <laughs> needs. Um, there was some uh, classes uh, with some annotations, like there was a primary key, right? So I look yep. at this from a developer's perspective and I don't necessarily care about the underlying uh, technology. And you talk to me about lazy loading, which again, if I'm using uh, a relational database with an ORM on top, object relational mapper, uh, I, I can activate that or not activate that. So from the developer perspective of the developer experience, how is working with this different to working with an ORM that is um, you know, using a relational database? So that is a very good question. So I would say the biggest difference is that in a relational model, you are, the underlying sort of representation always leaks through much more heavily than in an object database, right? If you have a relational database under the hood, like representing just simple things like relationships are actually pretty tricky. Relation, uh, like exposing things like lists are close to impossible or not impossible, it's very tricky. Exposing things like uh, sets or maps are nigh impossible in a relational like if you have to figure out how to how to create uh, tables for all of that if you have a have a object oriented database we have those data structures like lists like references like sets maps we have built those directly into the database so like you don't have to think about performance when accessing those data structures right if you have a relational database like sqlite anytime you sort of jump a reference you have to think about oh am i doing a join underneath the hood somewhere that is probably expensive. How, like, 
like stuff like that. Well, what about my foreign key? Like, there's a bunch of concepts you have to have in mind when doing that, when working with a relational database, even on even if you have an have an ORM on top, right? With Realm, all of that just goes away because we have those those things are native to the database all the way to the storage layer. So, so that's probably the biggest difference, I would say. And you default to lazy loading on anything, or 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 that's something that the user can can. No, so define. that's something we default. Uh, we use everywhere. So basically, what we're doing is so I guess it gets a bit technical right now, but like we are we are memory mapping the entire database, so it's available very quickly. Uh, so that means that while traversing relationships in a SQLite database requires some sort of join, that is pretty expensive to do. Doing that in Realm is basically just following a pointer in memory, right? So so that is much much faster, and that is also why we have things like infinite scrolling that is sort of building into the into the database itself so that you can have your list of a million tweets and scroll through it without implementing stuff like uh, paging that is sort of giving to you for free right so so there is a lot of really powerful things you get from using an object database compared to sql i would say um, yeah this this actually i have to say this resonated with me quite a lot now because um, for a little bit of a side project, um, I'm using a, a Kotlin library called SQL Delight, which is kind of like the quite the opposite. So for those of mm. you who, who don't know what SQL Delight does, is it allows you to write uh, like SQL code, so so actual queries, and then it generates type safe Kotlin wrappers from those. Um, which means on the one hand, while well, you're not dealing with any kind of arbitrary uh, like API that someone has thought up to do to do your queries because you're writing real SQL, but it also means that you're writing real SQL, uh, yeah. which means that exactly those things. Like I was I was trying to implement some some basic tagging functionality for for a couple of, of documents that I was saving, and the amount of research I just had to to do to kind of figure out like okay, in in Kotlin code this would just be a, a set of strings probably or something like mm. this. And now I need to have a, a table that's the relationship between the IDs of my of my actual entries of my documents, and then I have tags, and then do I just want to have an association directly, but then I'm not normalized, so maybe I should have another table which has uh, mm -hmm. IDs and tags again, and then I have like two joins for for each request, and all of a sudden your your little SQL statements that are looking so so nice and cute, all of a sudden they're kind of exploding, and you're doing left joins, right joins, um, and then you're tasked with things like returning more than one tag for a document, and then everything just kind of explodes. Yeah. And, and I mean, so, and you see the same problem with both SQL, like both SQL Delight and, and libraries like Room are really, like, really great libraries, but they also, like, they sort of work on the premise that you want to write SQL right somehow, and that, that's just not the case. You know, in many cases, you don't, plus that, especially, like, the Room documentation has pages upon pages on, on how you have to model relationships, right, which is just not something you want to care about when you want to ship your app doing something simple, right? You just want to, hey, I just want my set of strings. Please make it easy for me, right? So, uh, but of course, like, I guess, and I guess that's the argument why people are sort of using SQL uh, Delight uh, libraries is that a lot of people have learned SQL in the past somewhere. So they know sort of the, the language, right? So, th so they might be aware of this. But if you're sort of not like, it is a, it is a pretty big hurdle to get over. 
So this is calling multi-platform. Uh, you target, I mean, Seb mentioned that he saw a bunch of things on the, on the demo. But to recap, what platforms do you support when it comes to Kotlin? So right now we support uh, Android in all its variants. Uh, we support iOS. Uh, we support macOS. We support so native iOS and macOS native. We support JVM platforms, so that's uh, Windows, uh, macOS, Windows. Um, so we don't support specifically JavaScript right now. So we, it is something we're looking into, but obviously that is a bigger thing because then we have to run web, our database in WebAssembly in the browser. So it is pretty interesting and it's definitely something we're looking into, but it's not there yet. Uh, but basically we support what you will consider the primary targets. Uh, we, we could in theory also support things like Raspberry Pis with uh, Linux ARM variants. So the only reason we basically don't right now is that we have to find a CI setup that actually tests the thing works on there. So, but like nothing, nothing prevents us from doing it, which, which is I think the really, really cool thing about Having now we have written the entire SDK in, in Kotlin and having been multi-platform aware is that basically adding support for new platforms is just it's not writing the code anymore. It's it's finding the way to set up the tooling around it, the CI with distribution. It's all of those things that are the road stops now. It's not actually making the thing work on those platforms. Just for for clarification, when you say we could probably run it on a Raspberry Pi, uh, do you mean like natively? Because I yeah. I would or so if I have a JVM application, I mean, you know, the Raspberry Pi can can lift that if it tries really hard. Um, yeah, yeah. Would that I mean, just work out of the box right now? Yeah, yeah, that would work out of the box if you have uh, the what is it called Android Things that would work out of the box. Uh, but if you wanted to compile for for a pure Raspberry Pi, that that wouldn't work out of the box right now. So in in your adoption of Kotlin multi platform, what have been the biggest pain points for you? So I would definitely say it has been the memory model. Um, mostly because as a library, we are so we can't really we had to sort of make sure we worked on on both on the JVM side and on the on on the native side, like that was doable. I, but I think that the pain point was that there was this there there is this transition period where people are like you just promoted the new memory model to beta, right? Which is awesome, which means that we can sort of push people there. But like before that, it, there was a bit of a pushback on some projects didn't really want to migrate to that, someone didn't. And as a library, we sort of got stuck in the middle trying to, okay, what should we do there? Um, so, and this was especially a problem with a library like Ktor, which is like basically the default if you want to do networking, right? And we depended on Ktor in our backend, but that, that they sort of made the transition like some months back to the new memory model. But like in order for us to support, they only supported that, right? So if we sort of adopted Ktor 2, which has that, we would basically force all the people using our library to, to the new memory model. So we went a bit back and forth on that. Uh, but now everything is beta. We sort of said, okay, let, let's do that. And then so we, we moved everything to the new memory model, which also simplified up a lot, a lot of our code. So, so that's where we are now. And, and you mentioned uh, Ktor. And, and be very careful how you respond <laughs> here. Um, are you using Ktor right now? Yeah, yeah. So we like we're actually pretty pretty happy with it. So like like it it is, it is very cool that you can sort of plug in these different engines depending on the platform and just have one API for configuring them. That 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 is, 
I would say that is very nice. So, so, so yeah, so we have been, we are pretty happy with it. So, so yeah. Um, That's great to hear. Wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> cool. You can hear some people like exhale being like, <gasps> fire. <laughs> we're, we're not going to get chewed out by Hardy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's so unfair. <laughs> So I'm curious, when you were talking about uh, conflict resolution, you, you said operational transformations. Is, is, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, operational transform. That's right. Okay. So can you explain what that is and how you actually like resolve conflicts in a situation where like one phone is offline and then goes online and says, well, you just made this payment through or whatever. Like this ticket that you wanted to buy is no longer available. Like how do you solve that? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, and you know, it might take a week to answer, but I'll I'll give you the short version now. Um, so, um, the the first thing to think about is, um, say that we sent the entire document or table row or whatever object to the um, to the server. That is actually, um, you know, it it actually becomes difficult to resolve conflicts if we send just the new state of the object. What we really care about whenever someone makes a change is what the change was, right? Did you update a particular field? Did you append to an array? Um, we were more interested in that change than the entire, the, the new thing that we, we created. Um, and so one sort of counterintuitive thing is that instead of sending the new state, uh, we send these sort of change sets, the, the instructions that represent the change that occurred. Um, and so what OT does, operational transform, um, you know, you feel free to, to read the Wikipedia article for a very technical, uh, detailed uh, overview. But on a high level, it takes any two changes and says, um, given these two changes, which one of these changes should I preserve and should I modify it? So you should you can consider if two of us updated the same field. In that case, only one of those should actually um, make it through because maybe the last write on, on uh, a field wins. But if two of us appended to the same array, then both of those should stick around. Um, but the order actually really matters because if you insert it into array index zero and I insert it into array index zero, um, depending on which order the system uh, outputs those two instructions, we would get different arrays. Does that make sense? Um, and yep. so what the operational transform algorithm will do is just basically say, um, you, Sep, when you created these writes, what did you know about? Um, in, in the world of all writes that occurred on this data set, which of them did you know about and which of them did you not know about? And if you didn't know about all of these um, you know, instructions number 10 through 20, and you're creating your own set of instructions, for every one of those instructions that are now coming in, we're going to have to compare them against all the instructions that you didn't know about and run this operational transform algorithm to output these mutated changes that are effectively what, the change, what changes you would have made had you actually known about those things when you made them. Um, and we do that for every single client and every single change on the server. And we output this like new rewritten history and then send that back down to the client. And here's where things get interesting. The clients actually do operational transforms as well on the mobile devices. And that is basically saying, well, I didn't know about those rights and now these are coming in. So it does the inverse operational transform. And part of the guarantee of operational transform and why it becomes really fascinating is it guarantees that if I do operational transform in the server, you do operational transform in reverse on the client, we both end up with the same exact uh, piece of data at the end of the day. And so that, uh, that is a core premise that allows us to say, 
um, given the same set of instructions, different clients will converge to the same state. I guess one of the also very cool things about this is that we work at a very low level of granularity. So like we can basically see changes to properties as changes, right? So if you have two devices updating different properties on the same object, most of your, if people are implementing this themselves, they would just take the entire state of the object, put it to the server, and the server would say, oh, one of these have to win for the entire thing. But oper operational transform basically see that, oh, you're just modifying two different properties. They don't conflict at all. So like that will just propagate to both devices, right? So, so one, it minimizes the amount of traffic we have to send. And two, it actually makes the combined set of changes more accurate. So it means that like if you say you're building a to-do list app, right? A list of items that need to be, be checked off your to-do list. Um, you, you get, you preserve the end user's intent much better. So if one user checked it off and said it's done, and the other user said, oh, actually, I need to add a tag or I need to change the spelling of one of the items in the to-do list. Um, and if that's the same item, um, as Christian said, the naive way would be, would be just to take the latest write. But because these are uh, both operating on different parts of the same item, you end up being able to preserve the intent of each user. And so the end user experience is just so much better as a result of that. I, I have a follow-up question on, on that because, well, you mentioned this is kind of all based on operational transforms. And I have a, I have a good friend who's, who's constantly in my ear um, because that's something that, that he's kind of working on, which is CRDTs, so conflict-free replicated data types. I personally am not nearly deep enough uh, uh, into any of these shenanigans um, to kind of really understand the big difference in them. But I just wanted to ask you to comment on, you know, whether you whether there's a particular reason on why you preferred one or the other. <laughs> yeah, um, that is something that I am not an expert on either because Operational Transform was chosen before I joined the team. Um, I can give you a quick overview um, of, of the main differences, but a lot of it was that um, it ended up being just a little bit better performance-wise. And... The, the biggest one, I think, was that um, operational transform does a better job of preserving end user intent than CRDTs do. And so what I just described about, um, you know, it's possible to have everyone converge to, same, to the same consistent state, um, but it's also really nice when that state reflects what you were actually trying to do in the first place. And operational transform tends to do a slightly better job of that. But CRDTs is something that we've considered. We've thought several times about um, using that in various parts of our system, and we've ended up switching, uh, sticking to operational transform. That's essentially kind of like event sourcing, right? You are um, storing the intent of the user and, and what they're doing as opposed to a state of the object, right? I, I have a feeling that this two-minute snippet on uh, on operational transforms versus CRDTs is going to uh, fuel about a, a five-hour lesson uh, for myself next Saturday when I hang out with this uh, gentleman the next time. So thank you for that. I've got my weekend, <laughs> my weekend entertainment settled now. Thanks to you. Okay, Seb, we really need to talk about your weekend entertainment. <laughs> like really, okay. <laughs> I got to take you out of it. Okay, you got to leave that basement, Seb. <laughs> so uh, on to very, very important things. Um, I have one question. What is the business model around this product? We like uh, for you to be able to use things for free. And so you can actually get off the ground and, and start using Realm um, for free. And, and that's really nice. You can start uh, you know, building the local database. Uh, you can start using it in your mobile apps. It's entirely open source. Um, where you start having to pay is when syncing comes in. 
Um, and so like many apps, we've got a free tier. You can create an uh, Atlas free cluster. But after your sync traffic exceeds some certain amount of um, minutes used and certain number of requests, then you are paying for two things. One, you're paying for the Atlas cluster, the like the cloud MongoDB server that is supporting all of your cloud um, operations. And then you're paying for uh, the number of sync operations you do and number of sync minutes. And don't quote me on, I don't know the exact number in terms of dollars. Feel free to go check out the website, I guess. Um, but it's pretty cheap. Um, it ends up being like you know, a fraction, a very small fraction of a cent per minute. Yeah, and that's absolutely fine and great. And, I'm, and in fact, I'm happy that you actually have, you know, a, a, a model where you charge folks uh, because <laughs> then it means that you have a sustainable business that, that can move forward, right? Uh, yeah, so. I, I like it personally because yeah. it means that you can, um, you know, you can build a fully functioning mobile app um, and not have to worry about paying anything. And, you know, you get the, the database, you get all the local stuff. And then later on, when you realize you want syncing for whatever reason, or you want cloud, you want your data on the cloud or something with just a line of code, you can enable syncing and then you start paying and you start getting this uh, server side component almost for free. Uh, yeah, plus that the server side is also scalable, right? So you, you only pay for the traffic. So you basically only pay the more the more users you get as well, right? So yep. so yeah. Ha, ha, and have you thought about a Netflix model where you pay slightly less and then get advertising inserted? Can you imagine we we insert <laughs> advertisements into your mobile app for you? Every every fifth row in your database is just a sponsored post. It doesn't matter what the object is. We'll just accommodate it to some advertising. <laughs> yep. This is this is your DTO sponsored by JetBrains. <laughs> I have to say, um, what, what what I think is is also just really cool, uh, is that you folks support desktop, uh, because I know mobile is the big and shiny one, and everyone does mobile apps, um. But with uh, with Compose for desktop, you know, since we since we now have more fun ways to build desktop applications, it's kind of really cool to see libraries where you know it's it it fits like a glove, right? It's 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 Kotlin itself or it's native, uh, and you could yeah see yeah sponsorship right there again. Um, yeah, it's 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 Kotlin again, um, and and it kind of works well, and you're you're basing it on these uh, on, on these ideas of, of flows and all of that, which I guess makes it really easy to integrate there as well, um, which I just think is, is really cool. Yeah, so I would also say like, we were actually like, like Realm is sort of, it was born in sort of a mobile first world. So that was sort of what our way of, of thinking. But once we shipped uh, this multi-platform SDK, we were actually pretty surprised how many devices out there that are not mobile phones, but like uh, you have your counter registers and you have your kiosk devices, you have like, a bunch of really weird devices out there that are mo that are still some sort of small thing that people want to have syncing capabilities, right? So we have a bunch of people already show, oh, we have this thing running on our, our no, Windows kiosk devices running around scanning inventory and whatnot, right? So, so yeah, that has been pretty fun to see that a thing that started out as a mobile SDK is actually like anything in this day and age is basically a device, right? You can you can hook into this, which is which is pretty fun to see. It's it really seems that uh, kind of communication code seems to be the the thing that otherwise you have to spend so much time on just getting data into your system and out of your system. So I'm I'm always in favor of any product or library uh, that helps me avoid that, so I can focus a little bit more on, on what I actually try to do. 
And I, I would say, like, we, we did some measurements at some point just to show people how much code they actually write. To, to, like, if you, if you want to implement this yourself, right? And we saw, like, something like up to 30% of people's apps were basically REST code trying to pass uh, REST API send, send data handle, handle like thing offline. All of this code is just something that really doesn't matter that much and it's just annoying to write. So yeah, so plugging sync into that was just like, no, you can remove this entire part of your app. That's pretty yeah, compelling, I would say. Yeah. At at the expense of of job security, okay. because all, all of a sudden you can't you can't bill eight hundred hours anymore for <laughs> for writing yeah. your little crud app. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I'm a big fan of desktop apps, and I think it was a little bit insulting, though. I mean, I'm very very excited about Compose with desktop, but it was insulting yeah. when you said, "Oh, a new fun way to write desktop apps." My friend, there was fun. an awesome way to run uh, to write desktop apps before you were even born. What, it like was called Turbo? Delphi. Oh, okay. And by the way, chief architect was Anders Halsberg, who is Danish by that, if you don't know. He's now <laughs> at Microsoft doing TypeScript and C Sharp. So that's where I started with desktop and professional development. So I'm really happy with desktop. And anyone that says, oh, mobiles kill desktop, get the head out of here. Would you want to go back to Delphi? No, I can go back to Kotlin for Compose Desktop or Desktop Compose for Kotlin or whatever. <laughs> anyway, right, folks, it's been a uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we are past the time. We're going to have to wrap this up. And uh, Seb and I are going to go back and do the sports commentary on your uh, segment of live demo. Uh, so thank you very much for uh, joining us. Um, folks that want to find out more, I assume they can go to realm.realm.io, right? Realm.io. Realm IO, Realm IO, or is it Realm IO? <laughs> you don't know your own website. Okay. Uh, Realm.mongodb.com will take you there. Yeah. Um, what it says by mongodb.com as well. Yeah. yeah. But you're yeah, still so, there. So Realm IO is basically the, the 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 website for the local database. Uh, yeah. If you go to cloud.mongodb.com, it's that that would be the the same side of things. Okay. So, so, yeah. That's where people go to the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, thanks for having yeah. us. This was a lot of fun chatting yeah. about all the things we, we care a lot about. So thanks yeah. for your thanks Yeah, for it, it, it shows that you care. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful day still. And to all of our Evening. listeners, Seb. make Evening. sure... It's 7. It's 7 o'clock, Seb. Well, I know you time zones. have a weird time, time but it's 7. Okay, yeah, go. Okay. Anyway, uh, thank you for bringing me out of my concept. I, I always love it. You know where to go if you've been listening to this. If you want to see the demo of a couple of counters incrementing and decrementing, youtube.com slash Kotlin, where you can see this episode again. Um, if you're also listening to us, you probably haven't subscribed yet and have not hit the bell. I don't know if anyone still does this. I suspect the YouTube algorithm just does not favor you anymore if you add engagement. Thing. I don't know. And make probably sure you hit the thumbs up. Look at that. The gar Give a thumbs up for, for Hadi's Garden Glove. All right. See you in the next one. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.